Good morning. Welcome to our one day sitting. Today I want to uh, speak from a quote. And uh, it goes like this. Uh, to love anybody is to expect something from them. Something which can be neither defined nor foreseen. It is at the same time in some way to make it possible for them to fulfill this expectation. And so this is a quote from Gabriel Marcel, uh, who was a French philosopher and sometimes referred to as a Christian existentialist. So apparently there are Christian existentialists, or there were. <laughs> He was apparently ambivalent about this uh, label. Um, and this quote really kind of it had a big impact on me. It really kind of, it kind of blew me away. And so I want to try and speak to, to how it's been living with me. And um, it, kind of, it makes me think of um, seeing someone's Buddha nature. Um, it makes me think of the student-teacher relationship in our practice. It makes me think about how Sangha thrives, uh, what parenting is, um, how partners or spouses regard each other, um, you know, how I regard myself, and how I love the world. Um, and so I want to start with not knowing. So the quote again, to love anybody is to expect something from them, something which can neither be defined nor foreseen. It is at the same time in some way to make it possible for them to fulfill this expectation. You know, so what is it to, you know, to expect something that is, that is neither defined nor foreseen? And so um, we have a koan. Um, so the Book of Serenity is a collection of 100 koans, 100 old Zen stories. And number 20 um, goes like this. So this is two Chinese uh, Zen teachers having a conversation about 1,100 years ago. Um, so Ditsong, he's the teacher in this case, asked um, his student, Fa Yen, who would go on to become a great teacher. Ditsong asked Fa Yen, where are you going? And Fa Yen said, around on pilgrimage. And Ditsong said, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? And Fa Yen said, I don't know. And Ditsong replied, and not knowing is most intimate. So you know, going on a pilgrimage, going on a walk, on a journey, going to like a one-day sitting, or going home, or going to work, to the park. You know, what is the matter of this pilgrimage? What is this wandering? 
So not knowing is most intimate. And so this not knowing is not a kind of blankness or um, trying to erase my thinking or get rid of names and labels and ideas. And it's also, it's not the not knowing of a, of a closed mind. It's an opening. It's opening around my thinking, opening around my knowing so that um, I'm not living in it. And so this is, so tuning into a kind of grasping or kind of holding to my thinking that's, it's um, in the midst of my thinking. And tuning into that grasping and allowing it to release. And in some ways, um, this can seem really subtle. This, or this grasping can be very subtle. And this letting go can also be kind of a big deal. Um, because a kind of our grasping our thinking is part of how part of like how I do me. So, you know, I'm living through my thinking and my thinking is me, is me doing me. And if I let go of my thinking, then like, you know, who am I? So this, so this is this not knowing. And another, another thought from Gabriel Marcel, I wanted to bring in here is, um, he distinguishes uh, problems and mysteries. And so in his thinking, uh, he, kind of, he looks at problems as these problems are kind of like out there. And problems are fixed or solved or overcome. And there are problems like this. And like, um, like math and engineering. And things where like a detached analysis is really useful. And then there's also um, mysteries, and mysteries are not out there. Like there's a fundamental way that like I'm participating in this mystery. We're all participating in mysteries, and our our participation is part of what they are and how they live. And if I try to frame a mystery as a problem, I'm um, separating myself from myself. And my attempts to work with a mystery as a problem, you know, with this kind of dualistic framework, uh, you know, deepen the suffering. I'm trying to wedge myself in two. And so this isn't, uh, shifting uh, the, the kind of like the core of suffering from a problem to be overcome by like techniques or strategies, um, external doing, you know, to a mystery in which I'm kind of engaging basic questions about the nature of my being are kind of implicated in a process of liberation. And like, you know, in terms of like the language of Zen, to approach something as a mystery can be to engage it as a koan, 
And when to engage something as a koan is engage it as an inquiry and a curiosity, genuine wondering. And there's questioning, but the um, uh, it's not the kind of questioning where I think about something and then another thought is going to be the answer to the question. Um, so, but there could be a there could start with a conceptual question, but the 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 inquiry is actually leading into the body, into my relations, into what's happening, into my interactions. And feeling it all, feeling into the feeling of it, into awareness. And so with a koan, you know, we're not looking for a solution really, or a solution I could grasp. You know, grasping is kind of woven into the problem of suffering. So it's not a technique or a trick. Um, you know, not turning a mystery into a problem. So engaging a corn to to open, to become intimate. And you know, not knowing is most intimate. So there's it's um there's no detachment. It's not being detached. It's um and it's not um, kind of mushing out into a, a kind of complete non-differentiation. There's an intimate uh, differentiation. And so Fayan is going on a pilgrimage, and he's gonna he's gonna be walking through mountains and across creeks, and. Uh, with no fixed agenda, no fixed goal or purpose, you know, defining or kind of funneling or confining, you know, what this pilgrimage is. What is what what is this? What is each step? What is each encounter of this of this walk? You know, what this uh, one day sitting is. You know, what any day and night is. Like what, um, what all these human meetings are in our lives. So that, you know, so that this not knowing is, it's not wandering around with my eyes closed. It's with the eyes open, with all the senses open, and mind and heart open, and hara open. And so this, um, so there's this engagement with the not knowing, and you know, and so with not knowing as an active sense of inquiry. And so that I kind of connect this to expectation in the quote, you know, to love anybody is to expect something from them. So kind of an active not knowing, or meeting from not knowing. You know, not knowing, being entwined with something uh, generative, something expansive. Showing up 
with um, a sense of possibility. Um, as part of our uh, New Year's practice this year, um, we sat zazen here in the in the zendo, and um, and we we did a we did a kind of slightly different version of a practice we often do on New Year's. But so we wrote down stuff on little pieces of paper, uh, stuff we wanted to let go of. It could be like mistakes afflictions, um, obstructions. And then one by one, here in the Zendo, we had a small ritual fire, a fire Buddha, set up right in front of the altar. And this like fire Buddha as a kind of embodiment of the transformative function of awakening. The fire, you know, the fire of our own um, awaken nature. And we took the piece of paper and we held it up and then offered it to the flames. But there was this, there was this honoring of it, honoring what we wanted to let go of. So we didn't kind of just like whip it into the flames. <laughs> but, but holding it up, honoring it, um, appreciating what, I'm, what this obstruction, this mistake, this affliction is, and this is already part of the burning. It's part of the transformative process. Um, you know, this is this is not a problem. This is a mystery. Uh, Sarah said, we hold it up to honor that it is more than we think it is. So honoring it, honoring the mystery of transformation. And, you know, what we let go of, um, you know, it, it's, it's not really going away. It's going to be part of us forever. <laughs> but it, it can become a gift. It, or it can, it has an aliveness when we release it. You know, like the ashes and the heat and the light from burning, you know, of our dropped away greed, hate, and delusion, you know, take, they, they take on new forms. They become new kinds of offerings. And so... There's a kind of acceptance here, but it's not a passive or complacent acceptance. Or it's not like there's a kind of conceptual acceptance of like everything's okay. But there's also, this is more like a somatic um, acceptance, or like a whole being. And it's actually, it's a transformative space. It's a fire Buddha. So because of, because of the not knowing, um, you know, because this love is expecting something undefined and unforeseeable, it's a kind of expectation that's not expectation. 
it's not expecting something in particular. And so maybe it's, you know, it might be more like another word that came to mind is like readiness. And then, and then also, you know, as love, um, you know, something that entails my participation and it's, it's opening liberation and there's um, this like a warm-hearted sense of potential. And another word that's been coming up for me a lot in relation to this is hope. And um, I think, you know, uh, some people have really positive associations with hope. Um, I think in Zen circles, hope often has a bad reputation. Um, people and kind of like, I think I think there must be a bunch of a bunch of Zen sayings out there about hope, you know, being like uh, not to do. <laughs> um, and I think certain and certain forms of hope, uh, you know, do not resonate right, for me. Um, well, hope can embody this um, expectation as a form of knowing, as a kind of knowing what will or what should happen. Expectation of something defined, something foreseeable. And hope can be a setup for disappointment. And, you know, can just kind of keep going around hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. Like really big hope, really big disappointment. Or kind of like you get, a, you get a, maybe a little, I don't know, dopamine or something from hope and then a little crash. And hope, I think, can also be kind of um, idealistic and maybe like out of touch. You know, it can become ungrounded. And, you know, if, it's, if I'm not grounded, if I don't have my, you know, my feet on the earth, you know, am I actually here? And am I meeting this moment? And, I'm, and am I meeting what's coming? Or am I kind of like just really hoping? <laughs> so there's going to be kind of like a wishful thinking, you know. And, and a kind of relinquishing of responsibility. And I think maybe, and maybe another thing for Zen, like, you know, future orientation. And so, like, so if, if I'm getting really involved in grasping something in the future. And despair is sometimes defined as like this um, complete lack of hope, absence of hope. But I also feel like there's ways in which like a, some forms of hope feel kind of close to despair in that, you know, if I'm cut off from a sense of dynamic participation, a sense of, you know, agency. But this love that Gabrielle Marcel talks about and that, you know, is, I'm talking about here, to me, is like sounding like a different kind of hope. So hope that feeds, you know, my sense of agency and, you know, form of hope that is all about meaningful participation.
and a form of hope that doesn't really flip over into despair when things don't go how I want or expect. It's like a resilient hope or a hope that nourishes resiliency. And comes with a kind of a sense of entailment. You know, that how we are here, you know, makes a difference. And so um, I'm feeling a, you know, a sense like if I, when I show up in the world a little bit, then there's a little bit of hope. And where I show up fully, there's a lot of hope. And like where I'm showing up, there's, there's willingness, willingness to be here, willingness to be this person. There's availability in relationship. I'm in touch with my vulnerability. I'm in touch with how I'm, nothing, nothing here is sequestered from everything. And I feel there's like a light to this hope, a, a light, a light that I, I want. And it, but not a light tied to something fixed, or tied to some uh, false hope or false expectation or something unreal, like a true light of hope right here. So that that's what I feel in this love. And it's a hope that lives with mysteries. You know, seated firmly in the present moment on this earth with this engagement of not knowing. And with this... Um, and with the request of my heart. What is the request of my heart in this moment? Um, there's a, a Benedictine monk named um, Brother David Steindelrast. And um, he did a practice period at, at Tassajara Zen Mountain Monastery where I, where I practiced, um, I think like in 1969 or 1970. And then he would still visit um, when I was a student there. And um, he's an amazing being, or he is an amazing being. I think he's still alive. And um, he says, um, hope is openness to surprise. And so this really um, resonated for me here with this sense of love, of you know, expecting something uh, which can neither be defined nor foreseen. And so despair is wound up, you know, with a kind of knowing, a tight knowing, you know, things can't change. So it's, it's closed off from surprise. I'm not going to be surprised. It, it's, it's expecting that things won't change. It's not expecting something unforeseen, undefinable. And it's so very reductive. 
you know, and hope that's tied to expectations also, you know, very reductive of like, what's actually, what's happening. You know, so part of, part of this, part of, I think, practicing this love is uh, keeping an eye, you know, open to like, what are my expectations? What am I expecting? Either, either, either knowing will happen or knowing should happen. How, what expectations for myself, for others, uh, for community, for the world. Um, the filmmaker um, Hayao Miyazaki said, in order to grow, you must betray their expectations. Those I think are the, the knowing kind of expectations. <laughs> So also watching for uh, you know impulses to control control being you know when i'm am involved with the knowing about how things should be and now i'm gonna make it happen so fayan is not trying to control his pilgrimage he's open to surprise And there's there's moments of disappointment, and there's moments when I've been unmet love, and there are moments of loss, and these are all part of pilgrimage, and they're part of any real path, and they accompany us as we keep walking. So what's you know what is a resilient hope that includes disappointment, includes disillusionment, and you know keeps walking. You know, so going through a one day sitting. Fayan walking on pilgrimage, um, meeting someone, meeting an old friend, meeting someone I've never met before. You know, what is a love that's not uh, reductive? Or what's a love that like, allows and welcomes and embraces? Like, um, that reality is always unfolding beyond any story I have of it, that my, what I know, what I see is just a small piece of it. And that, and my, my feeling is that this, this kind of love and kind of this kind of hope is uh, flexible, it's pliant, it's responsive, you know, there's give. There's give and there's also uh, firmness. And it's, you know, it's, it's, um, and that's part of the, the inquiry in each moment. How, where, how much to give, how much to be firm. 
And the purpose of the pilgrimage is not where I end up, you know, but every step. So, so there's an aliveness or a fullness or a wholeness that you know, uniquely belongs to each step. It's a meeting each step on its own terms. So the undefined and unforeseeable life of this day or this person this period of zazen or you know just this breath and for me this is kind of this is at the heart of of how come there's cause for hope how how it's it's like it it is worth sticking around for as long as i can Um, the problems and but also these like potentials of hope i also feel kind of very similar to the kind of problems or potentials of aspiration and vow so in, in zen we have um, bodhisattva vows and our vows you know in, invite us to engage something um, maybe excessive <laughs> or over the top or um, or, or um, irrational you could even say um, these kind of ex- and kind of maybe feel like extravagant or excessive hope you know saying like beings are numberless I vow to free them about to free them all. So just in case, you know, when I vowed to free all beings and I thought I meant a kind of a certain number of beings, <laughs> we say before that, no, numberless. <laughs> and these vows um they're not, I don't feel like they're really for a mind that's um, um, they're, they're for beings that are not just rational agents. They're for beings with like with hearts and bodies and living in a world of suffering. And so, if, so if vows give shape to something in my heart. And it's something that it could seem very unreasonable to a mind caught in stories. And so Bodhisattva vow is like training in this love, training in this love to expect something undefined and unforeseeable. And I've been um, in some of my recent talks, I've been invoking like elephants and tigers and dragons to these great mythic powerful beings and i think to call in you know a more um 
radically relational and changeable and vast or oceanic views of what we are, of our nature, of our being, and of our capacities. So there's an unrealistic hope is like this um, problem. Um, and But hope is an engagement of imagination. And it, and not tied, you know, to uh, my knowing. But hope is a freedom that's in my heart already. I did want to, in these last few minutes, then talk also about this part about the. Um, it is at the same time in some way to make it possible for them to fulfill this expectation. Which I find, I find kind of wild and magical. Um, so there's this love, there's this kind of strange kind of expectation or hope. And it's, you know, it's not just a feeling. I'm living it. And the living of it has impacts and participates in creating a different world. So mysteries demand this involvement. And this love is a form of participation. And, you know, love and hope and openness and not knowing. You know, showing up uh, in my actions and in my interactions. And, you know, suffering on, I think, all levels is formed through relationship. And liberation on all levels opens through relationship. And so when I can give myself this love and this space, and the space, you know, space for the complexity and nuance of a deeply loving heart, and then I can transmit that to others. A number of Suzuki Roshi's um, direct students uh, talk about how the most impactful thing about him was that they felt like he could see their Buddha nature. So he had this impact on them that changed how they saw themselves. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Suzuki Roshi, although it's there's some question about whether he actually said these things all in one sentence, but he said these things, you know, in various places. <laughs> You're perfect just as you are, and you could use a little improvement. So, actually, I heard this in my first Dharma talk, and I was like, like, okay, maybe, maybe I, maybe I found the thing. 
So it was like 32 years ago. So this love, so seeing something, you're perfect just as you are, and seeing something you could become, uh, a little improvement. And But this little is something um, undefined and unforeseen. And maybe it's not little because of its size. <laughs> Or the little the little improvement is uh, dynamic and immeasurable and endless, and it, it might just be little the way that like you know each intimate step of a pilgrimage is is little. So in some way to make it possible for them to fulfill this expectation. You know, so this expectation, it's, it's not a form of knowing. It's closer to, you know, closer to hope or faith or vow or wisdom. And I also want to bring this up as part of the life of Sangha, of, you know, of our practice community, of liberative community. So in Sangha, everyone is your teacher. You're a teacher for everyone. And, you know, in some way, making it possible, you know, so we don't do this alone. We do it for each other. You know, we bow, we bow to each other. You know, and this is this embodiment of this expecting something which can be neither defined nor foreseen. And I'm also feeling this, like this, the language of love, this word love uh, is important for me, you know, um, for how I relate to myself and, you know, the challenging mysteries of my karmic endowments and, and how I relate to others. Um, you know, my partner, my children, parents, friends, Sangha, um, all beings. So, thank you very much. May our intention Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.